one. So they get to know there are a lot of businessmen coming in here already. And uh, there are a lot of professionals like engineers. Just a few, few weeks ago, I did a speech introducing the English teachers and the English schools back in the Philippines. So the locals are like, oh my God, really? There is this school in the Philippines teaching English? So more and more Taiwanese are happy with their experience of learning English in the Philippines. So that's one good thing about southbound policy. As Taiwan and the Philippines get better acquainted, Dem will be here to help the process along. Her Taiwanese-Filipino family and her success in Taiwan's media make her a living example of just how much the friendship between these two neighbors can achieve. Once again, you can follow Jem at her YouTube channel, Hello Phil Thai. That's P-H-I-L as in the Philippines and T-A-I as in Taiwan. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And with me today in the studio is June Wakabayashi, who is an analyst at AppWorks. Um, he said his dad is Japanese and his mom is Taiwanese, and that's why that last name. <laughs> anyway, hi, June. Hi, Shirley. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Very, yes. uh, very much a pleasure to be here today. Right, right. So, um, but you were born in the states. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. I'm although I'm half Japanese and half Taiwanese by blood. I was born and raised in the U.S. Yeah. All right. And uh, what did you study? So uh, in college, I majored in finance, um, and then after at NYU, and then after graduating, I worked for a company called PwC for a few years. Uh, but after that, Price Waterhouse. Price Waterhouse Coopers, correct. One of the right, big Coopers, four accounting right. firms. So, what is AppWorks? AppWorks is uh, both a VC and startup accelerator. Uh, we're based and founded in Taiwan, and so essentially that means we both invest in startups and also help uh, incubate them. Oh, okay, and I thought it had to do with apps. Uh, originally, it was focused on developing the mobile ecosystem here in Taiwan back in 2010 when, when our founder uh, started the company. Uh, but since then, we've grown to encompass uh, a lot more than just app companies, but actually specifically uh, those startups focusing on internet, AI, as well as blockchain. Oh, wow. This I've heard of those terms but they're still very foreign to me. <laughs> yeah, blockchains and um, okay, why not? But all right, and you're an analyst, correct? Yeah, at uh, AppWorks. That's so, right. what's your job? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's well, analyst is just a title, right? So everyone sort of charts their own path at AppWorks. For me, I joined the company about two and a half years ago. And my mission at, at AppWorks, especially being one of the very first foreign hires at the company, is essentially to make AppWorks a household name in a region we like to call Greater Southeast Asia, which essentially is Taiwan plus Southeast Asia. So essentially, we're trying to uh, position Taiwan as this hub within this greater region, this very fast-growing dynamic region called Southeast Asia, where we have been a little bit less known since we only started expanding there about two to three years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, you do travel around. Um, and so you travel to those countries you just mentioned. I mean, mostly Southeast Asia. Yeah, I'm correct. So and probably about 20% of my time. Right. Oh, okay. So why do you travel to those places and what do you do there? 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at Southeast Asia, it's home to about 650 million people, right? So if you were to consider it just one country, it would probably be the third largest in the world. Uh, it's growing incredibly fast, with countries like Vietnam and Indonesia really contributing the bulk of that growth, anywhere between six and seven、uh, percent GDP per annum. And、uh, in terms of internet penetration, although only half of the total citizens in this region have access to internet, it's growing very, very quickly every single day.、Uh, so that, in and of itself, is incredibly attractive to early stage investors, right? It means that a lot of the consumers in this region are just now coming to terms with consumer affluence,、uh, digital penetration, and transformation. So it creates a lot of opportunities. So it's my job here at AppWorks to really help position AppWorks as a go-to VC fund if you're looking for funding, or a go-to startup accelerator if you're looking for resources to help develop your business. As an analyst, when you go there. What do you analyze? <laughs> yeah, so when I go to these countries on the ground,、um, I'm doing a variety of different things.、Uh, number one is essentially、uh, just networking,、um, getting your name out there. This includes going to different conferences and events, having one-on-one meetings with investors and founders and other community partners. That sounds more like a marketing manager. <laughs> It's effectively a, a BD role. You, you could think about it,、uh, but honestly, this term BD can apply to any part of、uh, Wait, your job、BD? or whatever you're doing. Business development. Oh,、uh, okay. Yeah, correct. I'm sure you have your lingos here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Go slow with me. <laughs> sure, no problem. <laughs> okay. Apparently, you've been to Vietnam t- like ten times. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's really developed there, right? Right. No,、now. actually, it's、huh? it's not actually that developed. Oh, maybe it's more developed it's, touristy wise. Tur- Tourism wise, it's quite、yeah. developed for sure, but it's still very much、uh, an emerging economy, right? Okay.、Um, in the last fifteen years, that's when the country has really experienced a lot of its economic. Economic growth,、um, so it's it's the country has experienced a level of economic prosperity that has never seen before.、Uh, on top of that, it is the third、uh, largest population in Southeast Asia, growing very very quickly,、yes. and half of the population is under thirty five. So it's creating a lot of opportunities in the startup space right now. That's why、really? it's very very exciting. Correct. Wow, and I thought that you know Taiwan be a, a country with you know high aging population, and I thought that's sort of like a trend in the world, but you just said that. Yeah, most what? What was the percentage again? Are、yeah. less than thirty-five years old in、yeah. Vietnam. Essentially, half of the population is under thirty-five. Yeah. Oh、correct. gosh. Okay. Now, why is that? Because the rest of the world is aging, whereas they're. What does that mean? Well, it's actually. Did you it's, ever get to analyze that? It's, it's very、uh, consistent with a lot of the emerging countries. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So if you、huh. look at countries like South Korea, Japan. And Taiwan,、uh, the, fertil- the fertility rates are very, very low. Oh,、uh, there's just not as many new children being born.、Uh, in emerging countries,、uh, where there's just a lot of、uh, economic growth, you're gonna probably see a higher amount of children being born every single year. Oh, I get it.、Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Very interesting. Yep. You know, when I first looked at you, and then you said that you studied finance, I was going like. You don't look at. It. Yeah, was、uh, it really in, your interest? I mean, seriously, or it's not、mm-hmm. pressure from your parents? <laughs> Tell the truth. It's, it's a it's a very good observation because honestly, I think that I'm the most、uh, non-sterny. So Stern is the、uh, business school that I went to at NYU. Non-sterny that you'll ever meet. So finance, honestly, was just like this default path that I chose. My brother chose it. I figured it'd be a good foundation to have. I didn't really know what else to do, so I figured it was a good,、uh, safe choice to study in school. And and I'm actually quite grateful I did choose that path because 
uh, allowed me, equipped me with a level of business acumen and understanding of companies and corporations that allowed me to do what I do now very effectively. True, true. Well, well, thanks to that. So thank your brother, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess in a sense, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it sounds like you're, I'm very much like you because I think I grew up not really knowing what's best for myself. And, and actually, I'm the kind of person who doesn't really know how to make decisions for myself because my dad is a, a strict dad, you know, and he was the one kind of like, um, I don't know, drawing the blueprint of my life in the beginning, in the beginning. Okay. Like, you know, um, we started when I went to international school in Tokyo, they, the last two years of my um, high school years there, they started the IB's um, program, the International Baccalaureate. And so there was economics class. And my dad said, take economics, it's good for your future. I said, okay, sure. Then when I went to college, naturally, I, st- I majored in economics. Um, well, I added math later, but, you know, and now I not, have nothing to do with those, right? <laughs> nothing to do with economics. But anyway, I think you're better off than I am. <laughs> I, you know, I think you touched upon a, a, a very interesting uh, cultural issue that is rampant, and not only in Taiwan, but a lot of Asian, Asian countries. countries. And that's uh, having success already predefined for you from a very, very young age. And it, huh, it usually yeah. entails getting uh, top scores, good grades, going to Taida or an Ivy League equivalent, becoming a doctor, lawyer, or engineer, right. getting married, having kids, buying a house, and done. You're set for life. <laughs> you know, but gosh, like after traveling for so much, you, you start to understand that Success should be defined by what makes you happy and what makes you fulfilled yeah. and what you derive meaning from. And there's many, many different forms of success, not just the blueprint that I laid out for you. Mm. And so honestly, it's an initiative that I'm quite passionate about, especially here in Taiwan, just trying to empower the younger generation here to mm. challenge that mold and really find out what makes them like what makes you you. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's a journey that I've certainly been going. It's a constant journey. It's a work in progress. But I think uh, I've definitely broken out of that mold. I mean, look at where I am today. I'm in Taiwan working <laughs> here. Most of my colleagues in uh, NYU are probably still working in corporate jobs, working finance or banking or consulting in New York or San Francisco. For me, I've completely gone off the rails. And here I am yeah. now. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Very interesting that you touched on that. And I'm really glad that I've, you know, interviewed quite a lot of young people nowadays doing what they like most. And not just only one thing, but maybe two or three at a time, you know. And, and they're good at it and, mm-hmm. and enjoying it and exploring the world while they're doing that. So I admire that. Yeah, I mm-hmm. really do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, are you good at math then? You know why I ask that? Because you're in finance. Yeah. And that just makes me think you have to be good with numbers. Yeah, I mean, I guess I do fit the typical Asian mold of being good at math. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm extremely good at it, but it is a foundational skill set that I needed to develop for sure. Yeah. So you just have one sibling? Yeah, just one older brother. Correct. And your parents are very happy what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful to have had very supportive parents from the very beginning. Oh, that's good. Um, I mean, I've, I think they did try to uh, put that mold on me growing up, but I think they long realized that we're, my brother and I are just going to do what we want. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm very fortunate to have them trust us enough to want us to have a good life and eventually we'll be able to support them and be financially stable. And, and then they, that's what you want for your children, right? For them to be happy and financially stable, be able to, you know, raise a family successfully. Right. 
You feel obligated to support your parents? Um, I do. Um, I think yeah. that's just an inherent part of uh, the cultural values that yes. uh, I grew up with. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that uh, my parents have done to their parents, and I think they've passed on that values to my generation. Uh, I mean, I think in Taiwanese culture, there is this um, concept of xiao sun, which is essentially yes. you have to take loyalty, loyalty, filial piety. Yeah, filial piety. Yeah, so, uh, despite growing up in the U.S., I think that was still very much a big part of my upbringing. Hmm. Okay. Whereas, on the other hand, I think it's because your parents had, you know, the the Western, the American uh, culture influence, that they're very open to accepting what you're pursuing. Whereas, you know, Asian parents are not so. They say, no, 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 no. You got to study law, or you got to study, you know, medicine, you know, that kind of thing. Although I think things are changing in Taiwan, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I think that parents are more open to supporting. Um, what the kids, you know, want to pursue, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. slowly but surely, yeah. Yeah, so. I, I think in uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to have been born and raised in uh, a Western culture, but especially still with an Eastern influence, uh, especially when it comes to work ethic, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in Western cultures and education systems, they place more of an emphasis on individualism and creativity. And self empowerment, understanding, and then um, these are phenomenal um, and have a huge impact in helping you understand who you are and what makes you tick uh, growing up, and really helps you develop and understand what your true interests and passions may lie. Mm. So, is your brother, your older brother, still in finance? Yep, he is. Oh, okay, but so he's, going he's on a more doing... traditional path. Yeah. Oh, okay, but he is doing what he loves, though. Yeah, he loves it. So <laughs> more power to him. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, what kind of uh, things do you do on the side besides app works? I mean, interests, hobbies, things yeah. you are thinking about pursuing, maybe sometime in the near future. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's uh, definitely a whole variety of different side projects that uh, I do on the side, and I think that's also one of the biggest advantages of living in Taiwan and also with my current job is you you do get afforded that luxury here in Taiwan. It's just such a comfortable place. It's kind of like a playground almost where you can pursue these uh, side hobbies. So for me, uh, whether it's uh, doing some personal writing on the side. Or, writing? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, a big part of my job right now, and also my previous job, was uh, interviewing and writing people, putting out thought leadership, uh, and putting out content, English content especially, uh, to help educate the public about what we do. So writing is something that, while I'm not super great at it, I do it pretty decently. <laughs> Oh, you mean like letting the public know what app works do? Yeah, yeah. So when I told you that one of my job, my primary job right now is to make uh, app works a household name in Greater Southeast Asia. Of course, a lot of that is through networking and meetings, but the other side of that is also through uh, writing, f- publishing thought leadership and content on our website and on a blog or on international uh, media channels as well. Well, it sounds like June Wakabayashi is doing more than what his title entails, analyst. So we're going to find out more next week on In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin.
Classic Shorts: Stories from Chinese History and Literature. Welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. One of the most acclaimed poets of the Tang Dynasty is Li Bai, and one of his most famous poems describes the challenges of traveling on the Shu roads. Now, those were a network of mountain roads linking the Chinese province of Shanxi with Sichuan or Shu. They were built in the fourth century BC after the state of Qing conquered Shu. Now, there's a legend that one of the roads was built so that the ruler of Shu could send the ruler of Qing a golden ox as a gift. The roads were gradually upgraded with the use of some stones and steps, but it was a challenging journey. Li Bai's poem "Hard Roads in Shu" gives us a picture of that ancient path. Oh, but it is high and very dangerous. Such traveling is harder than scaling the blue sky. Until two rulers of this region push their way through, in the misty ages, forty-eight thousand years had passed, arriving across the Qing border, and the Great White Mountain westward still has only a bird's path, up to the summit of Imei Peak. Which was broken once by an earthquake, and there were brave men lost. Just finishing the stone rungs of their ladder toward heaven, high as on a tall flag, six dragons drive the sun, while the river, far below, lashes its twisted course. Such height would be hard going for even a yellow crane. So pity the poor monkeys who have only paws to use. The mountain of green clay is formed of many circles. Each hundred steps, we have to turn nine turns among its mound. Panting, we brush Orion and pass the well star. Then, holding our chests with our hands, and sinking to the ground with a groan. We wonder if this westward trail will never have an end. The formidable path ahead grows darker, darker still. With nothing heard but the call of birds hemmed in by the ancient forest, male birds smoothly wheeling, following the females, and there come to us the melancholy voices of the cuckoos, out on the empty mountain. Under the lonely moon, such traveling is harder than scaling the blue sky. Even to hear of it turns the cheek pale. With the highest crag barely a foot below heaven, dry pines hang, head down, from the face of the cliffs, and a thousand plunging cataracts outroar one another. And send through ten thousand valleys a thunder of spinning stones. With all this danger upon danger, why do people come here who live at a safe distance? Though Dagger Tower Pass be firm and grim, 
And while one man guards it, ten thousand cannot force it. What if he be not loyal, but a wolf towards his fellows? There are ravenous tigers to fear in the day, and venomous reptiles in the night, with their teeth and their fangs ready to cut people down like hemp. Though the city of silk be delectable, I would rather turn home quickly. Such traveling is harder than scaling the blue sky. But I still face westward with a dreary moan. Do you ever feel like that when you're traveling on a road trip or a long flight? <laughs> Levi really gives a picturesque description of how it feels traveling on those high mountain roads. Here's another poem called "The Hard Road," also written by Levi. Pure wine costs for the golden cup ten thousand coppers a flagon, and a jade plate of dainty food calls for a million coins. I fling aside my food sticks and cup. I cannot eat nor drink. I pull out my dagger. I peer four ways in vain. I would cross the yellow river, but ice chokes the ferry. I would climb the Taihong Mountains, but the sky is blind with snow. I would sit and poise a fishing pole, lazy by a brook. But I suddenly dream of riding a boat, sailing for the sun. Journeying is hard. Journeying is hard. There are many turnings. Which am I to follow? I will mount a long wind some day, and break the heavy waves, and set my cloudy sail straight, and bridge the deep, deep sea. Those are the poems of the famous poet Li Bai from the Tang Dynasty. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. Taiwan held presidential and legislative elections on Saturday. As we record the show, we don't know who the winner is because this is a pre-recorded program. But in today's program, we will give you a profile of President Tsai Ing-wen and her main rival, KMT's Han Guoyu. President Tsai Ing-wen made history in 2016, becoming Taiwan's first female president. Now she's hoping for a second term in office. Tsai was born in Taipei in 1956. She has law degrees from Cornell and the London School of Economics. Tsai became DPP chair in 2008 after holding several top government positions. 
She first ran for president back in 2012, but was narrowly defeated by incumbent president Ma Ying-jeou of the KMT. 2016 was Tsai's year. Not only did she win the presidency, she also led her party to a landslide victory in the legislature. The honeymoon didn't last, though. In 2018, her party was routed in midterm elections, and she stepped down as party chair. Internal party politics have also posed a challenge. In 2019, her own former premier, William Lai, challenged her for the DPP's presidential nomination in a bruising primary contest. 2020 will see Tsai say farewell to current vice president Chen Jianren, who is not seeking a second term. In his place, she's chosen former premier William Lai, who is now on the same team with her once again. As president, Tsai has forged a new road for Taiwan with regard to her China policy. In a departure from previous presidents, she rejected the so-called 1992 consensus. Under that policy, both Taipei and Beijing agreed in principle that they are both part of one China, while agreeing to disagree about what one China means. China has responded by blocking Taiwan from participating in international organizations, sharply restricting Chinese tourism to Taiwan, and luring away Taiwan's diplomatic allies. In the realm of foreign affairs, Tsai has shifted attention to Southeast Asia, South Asia, Australia, and New Zealand under the new southbound policy. On the domestic front, Tsai has gotten both praise and pushback for reforming labor laws and the nation's debt-ridden pension system. She aims to phase out nuclear power in Taiwan and has addressed Taiwan's authoritarian past, seeking transitional justice. During her time in office, Taiwan also became the first country in Asia to pass same-sex marriage. Saturday's election will see voters deliver their verdict on four eventful years with Tsai Ing-wen at the helm. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Han Guoyu was born in Taiwan in 1957. He received a master's degree in East Asian Studies from National Zhengzhi University. Han was elected lawmaker in 1993 for three consecutive terms that lasted nearly a decade. In November 2018, Han returned to politics, surprising even his own party by winning the mayorship of Kaohsiung, a DPP stronghold. His charismatic style helped him become the first KMT politician to hold the office in 20 years. In March 2019, Han led a delegation to Hong Kong, Macau, and China to promote agricultural exchanges. While in Hong Kong, he became the first Taiwanese politician to visit the Chinese liaison office in the city. Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council, or MAC, called Han's meetings with Chinese officials extremely inappropriate and introduced rules to regulate trips to Hong Kong and Macau by mayors, county chiefs, and political appointees. Although Han did not officially join the KMT presidential primary, he won by a big margin in a series of opinion polls in July, which the party used to select its candidate. At a KMT party congress in New Taipei City, Han said the presidential race was crucial to the survival of the Republic of China, which is the official name of Taiwan's government. If elected, Han has promised to build a country that is safe and rich. Han chose former Premier Simon Zhang as his running mate. At a press conference, Han said Zhang's extensive experience in government, industry and academia made him the perfect choice. In late December, one day after Han marked his first year in office, a civic group filed a petition with the Central Election Commission to have him recalled as mayor. The group accused Han of relying on China-friendly media to boost his popularity. 
They also criticized him for taking a three-month leave of office to run for president, less than a year into his term as mayor. Hundreds of thousands of people hit the streets of Gaoshan on December 21st in two separate rallies, showing opposition and support for Han. Shirley Lin, RTI News. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm. What do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. In today's program, we will also introduce you to three small political parties. The Taiwan People's Party, or TPP, is one of Taiwan's newest parties. Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe founded it last August. The outspoken mayor said the TPP will prioritize things that benefit all of Taiwan and the well-being of the people. On the diplomatic front, the party calls for a pragmatic approach to ensure Taiwan's survival and sovereignty. As of last October, the party had less than 6,000 members. Ke, a surgeon-turned-politician, received support from the DPP during his run for Taipei mayor in 2014. But his relations with the DPP have soured in recent years, partly due to his stinging criticism of the DPP government's policies and his decision to run for re-election as Taipei mayor against a DPP candidate in 2018. It is expected that his party, the TPP, will shake up Taiwan's political landscape which has long been dominated by the DPP and the KMT. The Formosa Alliance is a political coalition that was restructured as a political party last July. That's after a pro-independence group split off from the Democratic Progressive Party in 2018. The Formosa Alliance is calling for a referendum on Taiwan independence and is pushing the idea of re-entering the United Nations under the name Taiwan instead of the country's formal name, the Republic of China. The party is anti-communist, particularly in light of the threat posed by China against Taiwan. Last September, former Vice President Annette Liu, a DPP member, announced her decision to run for president as an independent backed by the Formosa Alliance. Liu, however, withdrew from the race two months later after failing to gather the required number of signatures. And finally, the New Power Party, or NPP, was founded in January 2015. Later that year, the party elected Huang Guocang, a legal scholar known for his lucid political discourse, as its chairperson. A year later, in the 2016 legislative elections, the NPP won an impressive five seats, making it the third largest political party after the DPP and the KMT. But in 2019, the NPP faced its first crisis. An outspoken lawmaker who rose to fame as a heavy metal singer, Freddie Lim, withdrew from the party because he was unhappy with the NPP's political stance. That's because some party members support the TPP and others support the DPP. Now Lim is running for lawmaker as an independent, and he openly supports the DPP's president, Tsai Ing-wen. Lim is not the only high-profile figure to leave the party. Another NPP lawmaker, Hong Tsiyong, left less than two weeks later. Shirley Lin, RTI News.
And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye. Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. <laughs> Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. I think it is one of those countries that still hold diplomatic ties with Taiwan. The country's ties with Taiwan, that made me come here, I guess. Uh, you need a degree in most cases to get a, a so legal So I was encouraged by friends to... African politics as a whole. So um, what better place to understand Asian politics? Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Around 110,000 international students study in Taiwan every year, and the International College of Mingchuan University has a large number of students from different parts of the world. On our show today, we have the chance to talk to some of the students from five different countries. First of all, we start with uh, Damien Waters from St. Yes. Kitts. Tell us why you decided to pursue your higher education in Taiwan and not in China or Japan. Or oh, specifically, why not China and Japan? <laughs> or, you know, why Taiwan? <laughs> uh, why Taiwan? Well, I um, think it is one of those countries that still hold diplomatic ties with Taiwan. And um, year after year, we do have a number of students who come to Taiwan on scholarship. Now, although I'm not a scholarship recipient, um, I've heard of the experiences of those people here in Taiwan. So I decided I'll just take the chance and come to Taiwan and see what that would be like. Mm -hmm. what, what about you, um, Tanduma Shangwei from East Latini? Um, well, for me, it was the country's ties with Taiwan that... Um, made me come here, I guess, because it was usually advertised on the paper that we should apply for scholarships. So I took my chances and yeah, here mm -hmm. I am. And Alex Krapel, you're from the US. Yeah, um, I chose to come here mostly for personal reasons. Uh, last year I went traveling and I came to Taiwan for Computex and I had a really great experience here. Uh, I tried actually like finding a job and staying here and that didn't really pan out. Uh, you need a degree in most cases to get a, a legal work visa. So I decided I would study here. I'd get the opportunity to live here while doing that. And if I still like it here after that, which so far I do, maybe I'll stay here longer. Okay, that sounds like a very good reason. And um, <laughs> Tandoa Menzebel from South Africa. Yes, so I'm actually half South African, half Swazi, which is now the kingdom of Eswagini. And as everyone knows, the Kingdom of Eswatini is one of the few remaining, oh, it's the only remaining country in Africa that still has diplomatic relations with Taiwan. 
um, as a young child, I was always interested, well, not as a young child, uh, towards my end of high school, I was always interested in politics and how they differ from Asian politics and American politics and African politics as a whole. So um, what better place to understand Asian politics than Taiwan, because China is currently a no-go area. Mm-hmm. And so, Chanold uh, Monroe, you're from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Yeah. I was about to take a student loan and go and study at a regional university. And my mother said, no, you're not doing that. (laughs) So I was encouraged by friends to check Taiwan out because I had applied before, but I never finished the application process. So I, I went this year and I decided, let me just take the leap. And that's why I'm here. I got a scholarship and I'm in Taiwan. What are some of the biggest differences between your learning experiences back home and here in Taiwan? To be honest, in Taiwan, these students are coddled. And back home, we have to learn a lot. We have to do a lot of the work on our own. Not to say that the teachers do not help. But in Taiwan, I think the teachers baby their students a lot. So they have to tell them, you need to do this first, you need to do this second, you need to do this third in the third place. And then they do not leave room for students to have independent thinking. Would you agree with what she just said? I would agree. Um, But sadly for me, I came here to study in Taiwan straight out of high school. So um, I did my tertiary, tertiary education here, so there isn't any equal level of education that I could compare with. But when I compare myself to my, not I wouldn't say Taiwanese, but like my Asian student counterparts, I would say, yes, they're more babied than I am. What about you? What do you think you're from the U.S., Alex? A lot of people like to say that students in America are more like disruptive and like classroom discussion is more welcome. But I grew up in a very conservative part of the U.S. and so the classroom experience was pretty similar actually of, no, I'm right, don't ask questions, that sort of thing. Um, As far as the difference between like university education, I've been to two different universities in the U.S. and it's hard to compare because the programs were very different, but In all of my schools in the U.S., you would meet multiple times a week for each class, and here you only meet once a week for class, and that is a little weird to me. And what about you, Tendu Mashang, where you're from, uh, Iswatini? How is it different uh, back home and here in Taiwan? Well, I haven't been to any university in the kingdom. I came not straight from high school. I took a gap year, but I came from high school straight to Taiwan and I have nothing to compare it to but um, for the babying part um, yes they are babied and they are babies because um, they finish high school at a very young age they finish about 16 I finished high school when I was 18 because our average entrance for first graders seven years old seven six seven so with them it's about five or six, so they finish at an early stage, and for them, they just jump straight into university and still carry their high school tendencies into university as well. You're listening to On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with students from five different countries. Can 
I can I just add on yeah, to sure. what Dindum was saying? I also differently from everyone else that studied in Swatini entered school at a very young age, but I do find that even here when I was in freshman, I would say and then this is not to blow my own horn, but my maturity levels were much higher than those of my classmates much so. higher but much lower than mine because yes. i was much older than you. <laughs> well well <laughs> and you uh damien uh, wow. uh as a student from saint kids and, and nevis wow. um well it's for the most part i do agree with um i do agree with their assessment of you know the differences but I wouldn't, it's difficult to always use the term so much babying. It's just that um, I would say the way the education systems are set up, it doesn't allow for a certain amount of um, personal growth and development. I used to, I, I do have a, um, a background in teaching and education. So teaching from anywhere between fourth graders to um, adults back home, it's, it's easy to see that when you come to these university systems here, um, they're structured in a way where, you know, rules and certain formalities, they seem to take precedence over um, a certain level of, of having a certain level of creativity and free thinking. But that's based a lot on, you know, curriculum and structure. And, and tradition also. And traditions. And but, tradition. Because it's and the system. Yeah. And, the and the system. Yeah. And the system. I wish I could fix it. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, Damien, what, what is most challenging mm. for you studying here in Taiwan? Oh, oh, the, um, the most challenging thing for me studying in Taiwan is, um, sadly, my, ba- my background in that. Um, I used to work, I worked for uh, customs back home. And there I functioned as an instructor. So basically my job was to just learn stuff to teach to people. Everything from law to communication to close quarters, combat, weapon training, a lot of stuff. (laughs) So what happens is that I come to university here because similar to, very similar to Alex, you try to get a full-time job, but they tell you, irrespective of your qualifications, your licenses, your certifications that you have, we would really like like you to see a degree. So we'd like to see a degree from you. So doing university here, it's a bit boring. And it's not Taiwan. This is not specific to Taiwan, really. But I mean, I'm studying here, so. Um, but it's just that a lot of what I'm learning is stuff that I learned before. So, you know, it's a lot of it is quite um, understimulating for me. Yeah. What I think... Um we normally fl- find a lot of uh, students from the U.S., maybe mm. not that many uh, from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for you, Shanolde, uh, uh, yeah. uh, being here in Taiwan, do you think that uh, this experience has helped you um, gain more cultural understanding among students you know, from different backgrounds and different countries in the world? Well, um St. Vincent is not an island in the middle of the ocean when we don't have any visitors. (laughs) So I already knew about different cultural backgrounds and different countries in the world. Um, Taiwan just exposed me to them on a daily basis. Whereas before I would meet them, talk, and then that would be the end of it. In Taiwan, I get to see um, T from Eswatini. I get to see... um, um, Damien from St. Kitts, I get to meet people from 
Africa from the African continent from um, Central America and I get to interact with them so I get to go more in depth into their culture as before it was more surface now I get to understand you know what makes them tick um, why they are the way they are the history um, what what is significant to them stuff like that so that is the only difference with coming to Taiwan as opposed to St. Vincent yeah. yeah, all the good jokes and bad jokes <laughs> yes. so that you do not offend your other yes. fellow yes. students. Yes, right. yeah, yeah uh, I, I, I can see that. And uh, <laughs> yeah. for you, um, Tandua, you're from South Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did you, when you first arrived in Taiwan, adapt yourself to the culture? Um, so luckily for me, I, I had gone to an international school for most of my life. So I was able to interact with lots of nationalities, I guess, which kind of made me a bubblier, happier, chirpier person. So it was much easier for me. I mean, if you ask my classmates, I'm, an, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. So, so I, I agree with Chernold. It allowed me to, because again, when you, again, this was when I was in high school. Allowed, in Taiwan, it's allowed me to grow more mature. And with that maturity, the level of phrasing my questions and better understanding people has improved. So it's allowed a more in-depth analysis of different nationalities. Mm-hmm. And Tandua just said that uh, personality probably helps. What do you think, Alex? Uh, helps with uh, being more social here? Yes. Or... Yeah, I can kind of say that I have like kind of the opposite experience because I'm a very introverted person. And so a lot of my expectation was that I would just kind of absorb culture by being here, but it takes a lot of effort to actually go out and experience things and try to learn words and do these sorts of things that I kind of thought would just happen on their own. But it's something you actually have to try interfacing with. And it's rewarding to do that. T, uh, as a student from Eswatini, how do you think pursuing education here in Taiwan, especially in a foreign country, of course, can help you with your future career? Wow. Okay. Um, well, for me, pursuing, as I'm in the media side of things, um, doing journalism and mass communication and that for me, my country is not one that is generally exposed to these kind of things. Yes, we have SBIS 1, we have SBIS 2, and that's it. VOC. Actually. Oh, and we have VOC. Those are the radio stations. We do have like TV stations, but that's like two competing. Mm. For me to get the exposure that I get in Taiwan and be able to bring it back home, for me, I feel like will make a big difference because at home, well, things are more cultural than they are. Um, what's the word? Twenty first century. Twenty first century. Yes. <laughs> um, so I feel my experience here in Taiwan will be able to bring back more improvement and exposure, not only culture wise, but also just generally, because I'll be able to now generate that or like incorporate that into our media i i do believe that studying in a foreign country wherever you are does help you in your future career yes, yeah. it of definitely course. does yes. Yes. and we've been joined in a studio today by mm. five students from different countries in the world mm. damian walters from st kitts and nevis ten duma shangwei t shangwei from iswatini alex krapel from the u.s and tandua Menzabel from South Africa and Chanel Monroe from St. Vincent and the Granadines. Thank you very much for coming to our studio today.
Thank, thank you, you very, very much, much for having us. us. Thank you. And that wraps up this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Take Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs> 